The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds a future. Send his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. The mystery of God. It will be accomplished. Revelation, the 10th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 5. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, 
and the sea and all that is in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. The mystery of God will be finished. Well, what is the mystery of God? What is the seal of God? Let me try to share for just a moment my understanding, my background. I was born into a a very conservative Christian home. And in that home of great importance, especially to my father, was the question of salvation. He did not believe in cheap salvation, easy believism. But as I went off to school, college, seminary, pastoring, listening to many different pastors and teachers, reading extensively theological volumes, I became more and more uncertain about my beliefs, about what I'd been taught as a child. I began to search to try to understand what is this salvation? And I have to confess, I got pulled off track several times by my own lusting heart for success for acclaim in the ministry. Success came easily and quickly to me as a young pastor, speaking to crowds of thousands in huge venues. But bottom line, I did not understand what it took to be saved. I have given my whole life now to two things. One, foremost, trying to just understand salvation. Trying to understand what are the requirements of God for entering into the kingdom of Jesus and then spending eternity with him. I have nothing else more important to me. That is my all-consuming interest How can I move through this world into the world to come as Bunyan speaks about it and be welcomed into that celestial city and live in the presence of Jesus for eternity? How do I do that? What is required of me? Now I listen to all of the opinions, the theological opinions, the psychological opinions. I listen to to many different people. But it wasn't until about 20 years ago 
that the glass began to focus for me so that I could understand this issue a little bit. But I have to confess that even today, I feel utterly shallow. I feel like, oh God, I need more. I need more understanding, but even more than that, I need a total sanctification in my body. I recognize the the frailty of my heart and my person and my ignorance. I want Jesus. So I thought today I'd do something I've never done before. I went on the internet and I just googled seal of god in the in the scriptures in revelation i wanted to know what would i find what i found was a a nationally known preacher author very successful well respected in evangelical circles And so I read his article. What does it mean to have the seal of God on my forehead? I want to share this with you because I want you to see why I've been so confused on this journey and why you may be confused. And we've got to clear this up. What I found in this article, and I'll share it with you, is such a mixture, a clever a clever mixture of truth and lie. And this comes from a mainstream organization, Christian evangelical organization, highly respected. I'm not going to identify the organization or the writer because I don't want to focus. I don't want to throw any stones at anybody. But I want you to hear the subtlety of this argument. And you too may have been dramatically influenced by the opinions, first of your own heart, and then of pastors that you've listened to. And and I'll show you, he, he freely passes on his opinions as truth. I want to tell you, I'm not interested in your opinion, and you should not be interested in my opinion. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what opens the door to eternity with Jesus Christ. I'm not willing to compromise. I want the truth. And the truth has been very hard to find in this culture today. It is well-disguised, identified as biblical truth, but it is not biblical truth. It is a lie. The devil has been very clever. He has infiltrated and caused the American church to totally apostatize. Jesus told us this would happen at the end of time. He warned us. But we each think our opinion is correct. So today, what I want to share with you is not my opinion. 
I pray I never share my opinion with you. My opinion is just worth what you paid for it. Nothing. It's truth we want. And I'm still learning that truth. I'm still growing in that truth. But I'm laying everything down to seek that truth. In the scripture, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to this vital issue of what does it mean to have the seal of God on my forehead and what does it mean that the mystery of God is finished? Lord, open our hearts and open our eyes. Open our minds. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Reading in Revelation 7, in the middle of John revealing what will happen at the end of the age, God puts a seal on 144,000 people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. There is some debate in Christian circles as to whether this is a literal or figurative number. Regardless, those that are sealed go into the world and are witnesses for Christ during this period known as the Great Tribulation. You uh, you recognize he just gave his opinion. There's nowhere in the scripture that it tells us the 144,000 will go witness during the tribulation. There's That's not in scripture. That's his opinion. But do you see how smoothly he inserts this as biblical truth? And it's not. Now, it's not an important one, perhaps, one way or the other, but I want you to see, I'm going to go through this article, and some of these opinions flowing in are utterly destructive to us. And I've been deceived by them. And perhaps you have too. I continue. As important as it is to understand what this means for the 144,000, what about you? Has God put his seal on you? If he has, then what does it mean to have the seal of God on your forehead? There is great importance to being sealed by God, so let's discover what it means. What is the purpose of the seal? There are different definitions for the word seal. I want to focus on three. A seal guarantees safety. A seal is a mark of ownership. A seal certifies that something or someone is real and authentic. In biblical times, as well as today, when a seal was attached to a document, it gave that document legitimacy. The Bible answers the question, what is the seal of God? Reading, the seal of God is God's mark of identification or ownership. It guarantees your eternal safety and certifies that your relationship with God is real. 
the same way that 144,000 in Revelation were marked and identified, you too are marked. However, your seal, which is not visible on your forehead, at least physically, carries with it great authority. What is the power of the seal of God? And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. What you notice from this verse in Ephesians is that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Please do not underestimate the power of those words. You are marked by God with the Holy Spirit. To make the language even clearer, when you give your life to Christ, God himself is the, in the person of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. Please let that soak into your heart for a moment, because understanding that one truth can literally transform your life. Let me repeat it again for that purpose. You are marked and sealed by God the Holy Spirit. When you think of what it means to have the seal of God on your forehead, take a step further and ask, what does it mean to have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart? This is the power of the seal you are marked with. There are three things that the seal of God provides you, and we will identify them from this passage in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Number one, inclusion. You are included in Christ. This means that because you belong to him, then he has then what he has belongs to you. For example, because you are in Christ, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Oh, wait a minute. He's now stating his opinion. It's not biblical. It's not factual. It is, in fact, wrong. He's saying that you are included in Christ when you simply agree to give your life to Christ. And that when you give your life to Christ, when you say that little sinner's prayer, then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. It doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. That is man's opinion, and it's wrong. There's something much deeper that must go on in your heart according to Scripture. Read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter. There must be a crucifixion. There must be a death of the old man. The old man must be destroyed in your life. You must be made righteous by the imparted righteousness of Christ, not the imputed righteousness of Christ. What do I mean? 
Well, very simply, it says, and I'm reading again under this article that I'm sharing with you today that so subtly twists the gospel, and it has so confused me for so many years. I praise God it's finally clear in my heart and my mind, and I preach it to you. Inclusion. You are included in Christ. This means that because you belong to him, that is because you said, I'll accept you, Jesus, you belong to him, then what he has belongs to you. For example, because you are in Christ, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Now, he goes further. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's a mistranslation. The Greek does not say that. And if you look at the NIV, they will give you the proper alternative translation. And that is, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, an atoning sacrifice for us. Jesus did not become sin. He is God. He cannot sin. He cannot become sin. But he offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now notice, he goes on, you can also apply the same principle to his strength, his grace, his love, his compassion, his provision, his power. Because you are included with Christ, his ability works in you, through you, because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. In other words, he's saying, look, everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. You have not changed. You simply accepted Jesus. You said, yes, Jesus, I'll accept you. I'll give you my life. And you're finished. And now you have all of these wonderful gifts being given to you by Jesus. He gives you his righteousness. Let's be logical a moment, please. Can I give you my righteousness? No. Jesus cannot give us his righteousness. He cannot give us, as it says here, his his compassion, his power. This is something he has to do in us. Do you see the difference? What Jesus did on Calvary was to give us the opportunity to be made righteous. Not to be taking the righteousness of Jesus. We are to be totally made new as new creatures. And this is going to require a depth that is much greater than anything that we have even begun to get a hold of yet. Somebody said to me recently, well, pastor, I have to have some fun. That reminds me of a 
of a person swimming down in Florida. They're splashing around, and and I can see a shark cutting through the water to take them. And I say to them, please, quickly, come out of the water. There's a shark coming. And they say to me, come on, Ray, I have to have some fun. I can't run from sharks all my life. Oh, and so the shark takes you. And then you say, as you're screaming and bloody, why didn't you warn me? Well, I did warn you. I asked you to get out of the water quickly. A shark was coming. Well, why didn't you give me safety? I can't give you safety. Safety is when you get out of the water. Don't tell me I have to have fun. That's not in Scripture. We can have rejuvenation. We can have restoration. We can have rest. We can have the joy of the Lord. But fun is not included. Because fun is usually considered to be something that dissipates or drains our energy away, that takes from us. No, we want to do things that build us up, that encourages us. I just heard about some Christians who were playing the game of risk on their cell phones with each other. And one man became so enraged, a quote-unquote Christian man, that he began to cuss and swear at one of the people playing with all kinds of accusations. What? Really? Well, they were just having fun, Pastor. No, they were draining away righteousness. They were putting themselves on the enemy's ground, and the shark came And in the end, it will take him if there is not deep repentance and turning from his anger and his cursing. Number two, the seal, he says, brings identity because you are sealed. Your identity is found in Christ. That's true. This means when God sees you, he identifies you as one of his very own because you have been sealed. It also means that Satan recognizes you as belonging to God as well. Well, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. What about a person who believes they are sealed because they said, Jesus, I give you my life, and they continue living out their life? They didn't give Jesus anything except, okay, I'll give you, I'll go to church, I'll give maybe a a dollar here and there. I'll talk the Christian talk. But you're not sealed because you've never truly repented of your sin and turned from it. And in your heart, you know you're not right with Jesus. But You've convinced yourself you're saved because of articles like this, because of teaching like this. But you're not saved. But, oh, I'm saved, and my identity is found in Jesus Christ. 
And that means when God sees you, hey, he identifies you as one of his own. Well, wait a minute. You're going to tell God he has to identify you as one of his own when you haven't had that turning from sin? When you've never wept before God over your wicked heart? When you know you still have a wicked heart? You know you are not right with God? You're lukewarm? You're not hungry for Jesus. You're hungry for the movies. You're hungry for the world's entertainment. You love to go do the things the world does. You love to build up your money. You love to build up your possessions. You love to live the life of the American. And you believe that you are sealed, that your identity is found in Christ, And this means when God sees you, he identifies you. Well, what if God doesn't see you? And what if he doesn't identify you as one of his own? But you think you are. That's what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do these wonderful things in your name? Didn't we love these people? Didn't we give to them? Didn't we serve you, Jesus? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or you sinners I don't know who you are he says see just because I say I'm sealed and just because I say that I'm found in Christ does not mean that God sees me that way and where I've been struggling where I've been crying out to God is that I would see my heart and my life from God's perspective, not from my selfish opinion. I'll always think more of myself than than I should. I want God's opinion. I want to know what God thinks about me. I'm going to earnestly search after Jesus. I want Jesus. Look, it takes time to be holy. It takes time to go to heaven. And some of you have given yourself to everything in this world that you're interested in, and you've never really dealt with your heart. You've never really gone down there and dealt with the wickedness of your own heart. And the wrath of God is being built up against you while you go around saying, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. But in fact, you know. You're not, but you say, oh, Jesus' righteousness belongs to me, so I'm good to go. That's an opinion of men. It's not the opinion of God. It's not the teaching of Scripture. I'm so troubled by this. I've just been crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, you've got to change us. Our hearts have to be circumcised. We have to come through in victory. There's not much shouting and singing in the church today because there's almost no victory in the church today. I tell you what. When you have once gone to the bottom of your own heart, 
and you see that God has reached down into the barrel of your wickedness and has redeemed you. You won't be able to stop preaching and shouting and praising God and sharing it with others. You'll be on fire. But you know what? You believe you're sealed. You're good to go. As you go about your worldly tasks and your worldly opinions and your worldly goals, as you go about continuing to build the wrath of God against your heart that will finally be revealed on that great day and you'll miss heaven. Heaven is it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to lose your life to win Jesus. And you know what's so hard for me as pastor is that I, I even lack the vocabulary to try to talk about this. I have struggled for years on this issue. I remember I was pastoring a small church and I kept trying to get at this issue I kept trying to to close in on it and get a hold of it for myself. That there had to be a change in my life. There had to be a deeper place that I had to get to, but I had no vocabulary, vocabulary to talk about it. I didn't have conceptually an understanding of what it means to be totally broken and crucified with Jesus Christ. But finally, I just blurted out in this meeting, where I was preaching. We're going to have to lay it all down. All of our opinions, all of our ways, we're going to have to lay it all down. And we're going to have to go after Jesus. At the conclusion of that message, one of the very successful businessmen who was in that congregation came to me and he said, Pastor Ray, I love you with all my heart, but you're so wrong. Next week, we won't be here. We're going down to a meeting with Benny Hinn. I said, please don't do that. No, we're going to go. So they went down and they listened to Benny Hinn and he blew on them and everybody fell over. This man was determined he would not be blown over. But he fell down with everybody else when Benny Hinn blew in the mic. And he came back and he said, I have the Spirit of God now. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm saved. And I don't have to give up everything. Jesus gave up everything for me, and so I'm good to go. And I said, no, brother, you still walk in arrogance and bitterness and sin, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have a, you have a kundalini spirit. You don't have a Holy Spirit. You have a happy spirit. He was so angry. That was the last time I ever saw him. He and his wife left looking for a church where they could just have the Holy Spirit experience 
and not be holy because they loved their life and did not want to give it up. Let me continue. Inheritance. The third thing we see from Ephesians is that this seal, the promised Holy Spirit, guarantees your inheritance. This is so important because one of the definitions of a seal we mentioned earlier is that it certifies that something is real or authentic. Please understand me. I agree. It is possible for you to walk with confidence today because of the Holy Spirit within you, knowing that your salvation is real and the forgiveness of all your sins is real. But it's going to take more than forgiveness of sin. It's going to take the removal of sin from your life by the power of the blood of Jesus. See, nowhere in this article does he talk about crucifixion. Nowhere does he talk about the need to die. That's not what people want to hear today. They want to hear you can walk with confidence. You're good to go. You've got it all. The Holy Spirit is within you. Never mind that they're filled with the spirit of darkness, of of bitterness, of anger, of lust, of pride, of ambition. Never mind they're filled with all the spirit of darkness. They're now covered and when jesus looks at them he doesn't see them he only sees himself and they're good to go and they've told they've been told they can have confidence and so any conviction of the holy spirit has been utterly put aside do you understand how sad that makes me how hard that is for me. He continues. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a, de- as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Absolutely right. But... What if he has not anointed us and we claim he has? What if your opinion is that you have real salvation, but you don't? What if you believe that you have the forgiveness of your sins, but you don't have the removal of your sins? You're still walking in rebellion. Are you going to say, oh, well, we're all human and we all sin against God all the time, That's man's opinion. That's not the scripture. That's not what the Bible teaches. That is trampling on the blood of Jesus. It is making it of non-effect. It is offensive to God. That belief will take you to hell. Notice, as you begin to look at the signs, it feels more and more evident that the return of Christ is drawing near. With this being so, then... Is there is there another answer to the question, what does it mean to have the seal of God on my forehead? I believe the answer is identified. It's very similar to the 144,000 in Revelation. You need to be his witness. 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, They are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Why is this scene so important, this author asks. There are some who believe that this multitude of those clothed in white represents those who receive Christ because of the efforts and witness of the 144,000. The scriptures don't say that. That's his opinion, and it's a false opinion. Therein is a great lesson for us who are marked by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want us to sit idly by waiting for our inheritance to be revealed. God wants you and me to be active participants in sharing the gospel and hopefully winning more people for the kingdom. In other words, your sealing or marking comes with a purpose which grows more urgent and necessary as we see the day approaching. You are marked, you are sealed, you belong to God. But I ask, what if you believe that and you don't? Your eternity is secure, your sins are forgiven, the hope of heaven is yours. But what if it's not? What if it's not? And for most American Christians, so-called, it is not. It is not secure. You've never gone down there. You've never truly been crucified with Jesus. You've never been born again. You've just been indoctrinated with a sentimental theology. It says, I encourage you, as you are marked and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to allow God to use you to be his witnesses in the earth. It was the last thing Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. It should be the top priority for you and me until he comes again. Again, that's opinion. It's twisting. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, wait and receive the power and then be my witnesses. We don't have the power. which says we've not been crucified fully and completely with Christ. And we're going to have to go much, much deeper. Tomorrow, I'm going to share some stories of people who went deeper. I want you to understand the process necessary to go deeper. Many in the older days went all the way through, and some in China where they don't teach a cheap gospel. And in those lands where they are persecuted for the sake of the gospel, they've had to pray through and gain the victory in Christ. But I want to tell you, 
In America, we've not done that. We have believed in a cheap, tawdry grace. And the Lord is not pleased. The wrath of God is against us, against all of America. And there must be a remnant of God's people that will rise up in this last day who will pay the price to be sealed by God. And the price is given to us in several places. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that is, made holy, not, not imputed, imparted, made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And then if we look at chapter 5, verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through entirely, completely sanctify you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That isn't that you're going to be made blameless when Jesus comes. It is that you must be blameless when Jesus comes. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It's not by white-knuckling. It is by the power of God moving in us, changing us, transforming us, taking us all the way into the crucifixion, Read again the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. And then I read for you 1 Corinthians 5. I want to read for you verses 14. This is 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, what I wanted to show you today out of this article that I've shared and read, this is a mainstream evangelical article that is teaching that if you just say the simple sinner's prayer, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you, and you're sealed by a seal, and you're assured of your salvation. Not one word in this entire article about being crucified with Christ, not one word about 
stopping all sin. First John, the third chapter, tells us that Jesus came for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil, the works of the devil in your life and mine. Please hear me and try to understand when I say this. We have not even yet begun to go deep enough with Jesus that we could be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that is what is required. It is going to require from you everything you are, everything you have, all of your ambitions and dreams. It's going to take everything for you. to be considered one with Jesus. There is no cheap grace. There is a place for us in Jesus Christ. John, the 15th chapter, the first verses, a place of abiding in Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches. But if we are grafted in, supposedly to Jesus, but the sap that flows through our life is from the television and from the entertainment and from our ambitions and from our lust for that whatever it belongs or whatever it is or that person. If if the sap of our life flows out of what we want and our opinions and the opinions of others, and yet we say we're grafted into Jesus, You've been deceived. And it's going to take, if you want revival, if you want life in Jesus, if you want to go to heaven, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to lay your life down. I'm sorry I don't have the language to try to talk about this in a, in a better way. I'm struggling to understand to grow up in this understanding. I know the victory is there for us, but we've got to go all the way to the bottom and die and be crucified with Christ. That's what Romans 6 teaches. That's what 1 John teaches. That's what all of the scriptures teach. Paul says, 1 Corinthians Second Corinthians, verse 17, chapter 6, verse 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Does that sound like you're welcome to touch the world and the wickedness of the world and that somehow you're still going to be received by God? You're not going to. We've got to go to the bottom with Jesus and get absolutely vulnerable and naked before him with nothing hidden and seek his face and pray through and gain the victory. Well, we're out of time. We're still $1,700 short for this month on radio. If we don't 
see a dramatic change in that between now and the end of the month. We'll have to do an offertory. I am also giving you a heads up that I'm going to be leaving town on Tuesday of next week. That's before the end of the month. And I'll be gone for three weeks. I pray you'll be faithful in giving and listening. Even though I'm not in person, the messages that we've prepared are powerful that Holy Spirit gave to us. I pray you'll pray for me as I go west on family business, visiting family and other matters of family. Would you pray for God's protection for me? This is not a vacation. I need time to pray. I need time to cry out to Jesus. That's what I'll be doing. Our address where you can write to me is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also give... And thank you to each one who has already done this. You have been heroes of mine for your sacrificial giving. Thank you. Some of you have given two or three times. Thank you. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and there you'll find the broadcasts, the YouTubes, all the information you need. I love you, my brother, my sister. I hope to talk to you soon.